Looking to stand out from the pack at your first job? When you earn a master's in management from Georgetown, you'll gain the skills employers value most, elevating your career prospects for years to come. Get started at choosegeorgetown.com slash MIM. Hi, and welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the faculty chair of autonomous vehicle engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hi, Fred. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. First podcast of the new year. And do you think it's a pretty safe bet that 2018 is the year when we'll see passengers being picked up on public roads by truly driverless vehicles? I think so. I think Waymo will do it. Uh, I thought maybe they'd do it before, you know, today. Uh, and they may have. It's just that I haven't heard about it. And um, uh, but uh, but they're really close. And I think sort of the uh, uh, the icing on the cake is that it looks like they uh, they have insurance to do it. And as long as their insurer doesn't uh, preclude them from doing it, uh, which I hope that's not the kind of insurance they bought, uh, that in fact uh, they'll just do it. Yeah, that's an insurance uh, tech startup. Uh, I'm not sure if it's pronounced Trav or Trove. It's, it's going to provide insurance for passengers in those Waymo vehicles. And I guess that's a pretty big deal. I think it is. I think, you know, the, that insurance company um, has been uh, one of the investors is Munich Reinsurance there. And Munich has been interested in uh, in uh, providing insurance uh, to uh, smart driving cars. And um, then really depending on um, uh, what are the terms in the policy, which I, I haven't had, I haven't seen. Uh, but depending on those terms, it looks like uh, uh, they may have found a, a um, an insurer to help them with their risk management here. I guess I always thought that maybe uh, Waymo and certainly Alphabet is big enough to self-insure uh, itself um, in this in this particular area. Certainly during the startup phases. Um, even the, the the worst catastrophe you could think of um, uh, doesn't uh, really do anything to uh, to uh, Alphabet's uh, balance sheet. Uh, so uh, they could self-insure, but uh, it's it'd be nice, um, you know, for due diligence of their um, of their investors to have an insurer basically um, uh, provide them with that um, that risk management um, associated with this new mode. And at yeah. least for now, they're not planning to charge passengers for the for the insurance coverage. Well, I mean, charge passengers. Uh, <laughs> what? Uh, are they, uh, look, if if they have people riding in their vehicles, all they have to do is ask them to basically use Google Search and Google Advertising, and um, they can probably uh, um, afford to uh, to pay for the whole darn things themselves out of the uh, out of the advertising revenue that they'll be getting. Some news that just came out, Velodyne has announced that it has cut the price of its most popular LiDAR system, the VLP-16, in half. Uh, When the VLP-16 first went on sale uh, a couple of years ago in 2016, it was priced at $8,000. So the 50% slash is is a a big chunk of change as it's being put. So uh, that could be a big deal now. 
Uh, well, I don't know. 50% slash. It has to, it has to drop by yet another order of magnitude. I mean, it, it has to get much cheaper than that. Components in vehicles, uh, where a automobile manufacturer, um, uh, pays, uh, $4,000 for that it has to show up at the, at the, at the showroom, uh, uh, priced at least, uh, you know, four or five, four times that or something like that. So, um, I, I don't know. Um, yes, it's coming down, uh, but it's going to have to come down a whole heck of a lot more. Uh, but yes, it's progress. Also of interest, a report on Ward's Auto saying GM sees a big money opportunity, uh, money-making opportunity in shared autonomous vehicles. They're talking about profit margins of 20 to 30 percent. Pretty interesting piece. I think it is a pretty interesting piece because at least, uh, you know, with an, an order of magnitude analysis of that, um, it shows, indicates that that's really where a uh, manufacturer could be in terms of uh, the ability to then uh, obtain a, a sufficient revenue in return out of uh, the manufacturing of uh, driverless vehicles and operating them. And I guess uh, I've always been of the opinion uh, that in fact uh, the entity who manufactures these uh, vehicles would would probably be able to get the the best return on investment by operating them uh, rather than uh, selling them for somebody else to operate uh, because in fact uh, they will be able to to gain um, uh, that line share of the revenue so in a sense it's I've always considered these as an opportunity as a sort of a goose laying golden eggs. And the golden eggs are really the provision of the mobility. And if you do that well, then you should be able to basically um, have those eggs really be golden. And in this sense, um, having returns of 20 to 30 percent on on the invested capital. So, Yes, uh, that is a, a nice long-run return. And, in fact, if uh, General Motors really sees that, then, in fact, they, they'll be in, in, enthused to actually be in that business. Uh, and what, uh, one of the interesting things that you point out is that they'll have, I guess, more incentive to build better cars, cars that are going to hold up for a longer period of time. Right, because a lot of that return is based on uh, on how many miles you're going to be able to put in those vehicles before you have to do major um, e- either maintenance or uh, replacement. And the idea is is to have that invested capital be able to be out on the roads, uh, generating revenue for a longer period of time. So there's certainly the incentive for them to have the vehicles uh uh, last longer as opposed to, you know, what might one might suggest with the current business model. Uh, one would like to have uh, someone return to the showroom every year and buy a new one. Um, so uh, that wouldn't be the case if they were to operate them. Uh, the other basic change that, that it would imply if they were really to, to do this as a business is uh, where do the dealerships fit in? Uh, to such a, a uh, an operation model 
um, of the technology. Uh, the vehicles would not be sold uh, through dealerships anymore. They would come directly off the line and be put into into service. And where does that leave the dealers? Maybe the dealers are the ones that maintain the fleets um, and provide that service to our General Motors. But exactly where the dealerships would fit into that model um, has to uh, requires a little bit of work. Perhaps selling subscriptions to consumers or something along those lines. Well, yes, that that also. And uh, although you know, I don't know if that's really what a car salesman or saleswoman can do these days, but it would it would basically turn the dealership operation somewhat upside down. Well, GM no doubt will have plenty of competition in that space. Didi, uh, the ride-hailing giant in China, they've raised over $4 billion, and they're going to use it to branch out overseas, including the Americas. First up, uh, Mexico, from what we read. Yes, so they've started in Mexico, and uh, they are branching out. You know, currently they serve about uh, 20 million rides a day, uh, which is a non-trivial number. Uh, but that number still uh, has to grow by at least one order of magnitude, if not two orders of magnitude. So, again, uh, as we are with the driverless cars, or maybe a little farther than driverless cars, we're still at the very beginning of this ride-hailing uh, phenomenon. And um, and looks like they're going to have uh, the, the, uh, the gold chest uh, to be able to go out there and um, and uh, make it happen. Well, they've got uh, pretty much a monopoly in, in China, from what I understand, and uh, so that's where the, the money really comes from to uh, to back all of these. And uh, yes, and not only not only the money, but of course the the demand and uh, and the opportunity, uh, enormous opportunity there, and and I think that uh, that to, to do it well. Uh, really has to encourage uh, uh, ride sharing and and the ability to get enough drivers uh, to to do the work, and that may be the limiting condition, and that's why uh, the driverless vehicle is as critical to DD as it is to uh, uh, to Uber and Lyft uh, in order for all this to scale. Uh, you can't find enough gig workers to be able to to do all the driving. You have to automate it, and that's where the driverless vehicle comes in. In the latest uh, Smart Driving Cars newsletter, you highlight a piece in the National Review by Charles Cook headlined, The War on Driving to Come. It sounds like he bemoans a future date when the federal government will seek to ban human driving. Tell us what your thoughts are when you read that. Well, I put that in there so everybody can have have a little chuckle and have some fun and 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 sort of see what a possible future is. But 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 I think it's he's uh, he's over overstated it enormously. Um, there are restrictions on uh, the kinds of vehicles that we can have on interstate highways. So, for example, you can't go ride your bicycle on an interstate highway. And so the the um, the public sector does put restrictions on, and there are certainly streets 
uh, in the United States where you're not allowed to drive your car. There are some pedestrian uh, walkways and so on where you're not allowed to drive your car. And so there will be places where you're not allowed to drive. But I think uh, saying that you're just not allowed to drive is, is going a little bit uh, beyond uh, uh, reality, I think, uh, in all of this. <clears throat> this is going to be something that's in the marketplace. And um, and for those who don't want to purchase it, uh, they'll still have the option to do it as, as we do it now, I believe, because there'll be... There'll be still some fo- some entities out there putting that kind of of vehicle on the market for people to uh, to go and, and purchase and drive. Uh, but I think that the the question is is to what extent the uh, the major population is going to look at the buying vehicles or just uh, using vehicles. As I like to say, if I look at elevators today, there aren't many people that own their own elevator and get a thrill out of, uh, you know, driving it up and down uh, whatever shaft they happen to own. Uh, people just use elevators as a um, as a public mobility facility uh, and just use it and forget about it. And I think that that's the way we're going to end up uh, moving around horizontally uh, for the most of us. Uh, and if it, sometimes we want to drive a car, we'll go to Watkins Glen and, you know, drive around the track. Like going to bumper cars on the boardwalk. <laughs> yeah, I love bumper cars on the boardwalk. I just love them, you know. Well, next week, uh, Alan, the uh, Consumer Electronics Show kicks off in Las Vegas, and there'll be a lot of news coming out of there when it comes to smart driving cars. Lyft is partnering with uh, self-driving technology company Aptiv to offer rides in its robot taxis during CES. There will be a safety driver behind the wheel, though, of course. But uh, a lot of interesting things we're probably going to be hearing about. Yeah, there, there's a great expectation for CES. Uh, you know, I guess it, from where I, I view the whole thing, it is the biggest thing happening at CES. Uh, and it seems as if, uh, you know, CES is, um, is uh, riding this one as, as hard as it can because it is the biggest noon, news uh, and the one with the most activity. Um, I still go out there um, hoping to see whatever the consumer electronics gizmo of the, of the coming year is going to be, whether or not I'm going to have a TV that has, that's now a, uh, 32 by 8 million pixels or something like that, whatever, I don't know. But um, um, the biggest news out there seems to be um, in the uh, smart driving car technology area. Yeah, a lot of the car makers will be there. And the consumer electronics companies, even ones you don't think of as being tied in necessarily, companies like LG with uh, autonomous vehicles, they have a lot to say about this too. Yeah, well, of course, because uh, one, they're trying to put uh, entertainment in these vehicles, and and if you're not going to be spending your time driving, uh, what are you going to be doing in your vehicle? <clears throat> so, in a sense, it becomes now the um, the framework uh, for a lot of um, of consumer electronics, 
and uh, and so yes, it's um, it's that the freedom that is created if you don't have to sit there and pay attention to stay between two white lines and not hit anything in front of you, all of a sudden opens up that entity to all kinds of, uh, of new opportunities. So uh, those companies are out there saying, um, how do I get the, the eyeballs of those people on my product as opposed to the two white lines and, and the car ahead? I guess in Las Vegas, it's the closest thing that these companies see to a, a sure bet. Sure. <laughs> yep. Well, that's it for this edition of the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Find us at smartdrivingcar.com on SoundCloud and look for my tech reports at textonation.com. I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening. And thank you and Happy New Year again to everyone. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.